0: all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Familiar words, hopefully, but hear them again. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. For those of us who have been around church for a while... I suspect, I guess, that these words are very familiar. But what do they mean for us in Edinburgh in 2004? What does it mean to love God? If I asked you now, if you love God, what would you say? How do you gain something like that? How do you measure that? What does loving God look like? feel like? How does it show itself in reality? What does it look like to love God? Why do we sometimes find it so hard to love God? Now you would think these type of questions would be fairly simple to answer, but I'm not sure as we reflect on these well-known verses that it is that straightforward. When Jesus spoke these words, he had been asked as you read by a Pharisee what the most important commandment was. And Jesus says it. It's to love God with everything in you. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. And this evening I want us to think for a while what it means to love God. What Jesus called the most important commandment, the most important thing any of us can ever do. Loving God. Loving one another and loving the world. It's a short description. It's a a perfect mission statement, if you like. It's what God wants his church to do, what he hoped for us as individuals. That we love him, that we will love one another, and that we will love the people who yet do not know him. So let me start this evening by asking the most basic question anyone can ever ask you. Do you love God? Are you challenged by that? Is it something that you want to dismiss or reflect on? Because as we reflect on the question, it perhaps will disturb you But do I really love God? I want in the next few minutes to ask some difficult questions. Questions that might disturb you. Questions that might show blind spots and failures in my life and in your life. But as we seek to answer these questions together, I believe the light that the path that we walk will become newer, freer, richer and most importantly will give us a more authentic relationship with the God who has created us. Those of you that know me well and some of you know me very well will know that eating is something I love to do. I want to say that there's nothing wrong in a good meal. God is good because he has created within us the love to enjoy taste. We could easily be created with just like fuel tanks which was funneled in without any enjoyment. But God has given us the pleasure through taste. God has made many things enjoyable rather than just functional. God has given us pleasures to enjoy even at the risk of us enjoying them more than him. John Piper, in his book, Hungry for God, in one of the opening chapters, says this, the weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. Uh, A little further down in that chapter, he goes on to say, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, It's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. There is no room for the great God who created you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and say with simple fast, This much God. I want you. I wonder, you look at your own life, and I look at my life. Am I sometimes too full really to desire God? Too full, and yet really not full? How much of my life do I spend pleasure seeking? You see, Piper later on would be colluded to the parable of the soils. I mentioned how pleasure was one of the aspects of a thorny soil. An obsession with pleasure that detracted from God. Thorns had taken root and grown up in the form of pleasures, desires legitimate in themselves, but they had grown to be more than they should have been. As in satisfying them, we were kind of feeding on so junk food, on so candy. It was filling a gap, but ultimately never fully filling our spiritual appetites. We live in a pleasure-focused world. And I want again to affirm and say that pleasure is good. But when it becomes our focus, it starts to become an idol. It starts to become another God. A sociologist has said, The Western world is in trouble because we have reversed a queen in seven deadly sins and made them virtues. Now gluttony, lust, greed, and so on or on TV every night, brainwashing us. We've turned it into an institution. We call it the advertising business. We have dropped down the tree of the Ten Commandments and now hunger for the fruit it used to bear. And if we are honest, even those of us who are Christians have subtly been converted to this form of hedonism, simply pleasure seeking, looking to indulge ourselves for no other reason but it feels good and seems to bring immediate satisfaction. But as we stop and look at our lives, we see that it doesn't actually fill us up. In fact, it seems to leave us emptier and emptier. We need to find more and more pleasure to fill that gap. Hear the words of Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes when he says, "'I denied myself nothing,' My eyes desired. I refused my heart. No pleasure. In other words, he did everything he felt like. And yet he goes on to say later on in the book that it was meaningless, that it was chasing after the wind. In other words, it didn't work. It didn't satisfy his soul. It left him frustrated. It left him cheated. It left him wanting more. He had settled for so junk food for enjoying the gifts rather than the giver. And when we do not have an appetite for God, it will grow dim. We will not become content with the pleasures that we find around us. I wonder, has it been a while since you really felt hunger for God? A desire for him rather than a quick fix. Maybe you wish you had that hunger tonight to love God with everything that you are. So what do we do? What what do we do if we want to love God? Do we reject all that God has given so that we can simply pursue God for Himself? There is in fact a major danger in that, because we can, can come people who want to obtain from pleasure, even people who find more pleasure in paid. Rather than enjoy, we are created by a good God who wants us to have good things. It's important we don't simply run to the pole of denying ourselves pleasure. That has been tried throughout church history and failed. It's not God's intention. Dallas Willard, the American author, writes this Spirituality misunderstood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. I suspect that's true. How many people do you know who are absolutely miserable, grumpy, obnoxious, but totally dedicated churchgoers? Loving God is not about rejecting the good things he has given to us. The gifts are good, but it's when we take the place of the giver that we become wrong. We need to love God. So what is it then? Is it it loving God an order, a duty, a command that we must obey, like a household show? Got to love God today or do it between 7 and 7.30am? I hope not. I want to say very simply but very importantly this evening that for us to be the people that we are intended to be, For us to experience life as God intends, we need. We need to love God. Whether you know God or whether you do not know God, you will never be satisfied until you love him. It is part of God's plan that we love him with everything in us, that we live out that love day by day. That's when we will become fully alive. That is when we will know life to the full. That is when we will experience humanity as it was meant to be. The passage of scripture that I read a moment ago tells us to fully engage our hearts to love God. The love he speaks of is an absolute devotion. It's a kind of love a young engaged couple would have for each other. It is in loving God that we know him and that we discover the life that we've been unconsciously seeking and trying to find through the trivia. Someone has written, only God himself is completely and utterly sufficient to fulfill the will and longing of our souls. To love God is to know him completely. You see, in the garden of Eden, back with Adam and Eve at the start of time. They were made, we are made, to love God. We desperately need to love God. And the struggle for some of us is to let our hunger for God come back again, because it has faded. You remember when it was, when you first became a Christian, when you first knew God personally, and that love, that desire for him grew heavily in your heart. It burned in your soul. Some of us need a hunger for a hunger for God. You see, not loving God raises some interesting questions, disturbing questions. You see, if you don't love God tonight, what have we been doing for the last 45 minutes? What is our worship here together if we don't love God? Is it just a good sing-along? Why do we serve if we don't love God is it self-promotion in the veneer of God? Why study the Bible? Why use biblical knowledge without love for God? You see, the real danger of not loving God is that we end up practicing religious behavior without the passion or the joy of loving God. We begin to become more and more like the Pharisees that are described in the New Testament. So what does love for God look like? Do you love God? Do you have a hunger for God this evening? What does God love love for God look like? Let me highlight four characteristics I think it has. Firstly there is desire. Let me begin by saying that love has to do with desire. I've heard it simply said that love God by keeping his commandments. But you see, the verses say something different. They say, if we love God, then we respond to him by doing what he says. Keeping the commands is a love response. It's not actually loving in and of itself. It's the evidence of love, is that we keep the commands. To test that, let me ask the question. Can you keep the commands and not love God? Well, I think the answer to that must be yes. You see, desire means wanting a greater closeness, a greater connection, communication, oneness, a manifestation of God in our lives, longing to be with him in everything that we do. So let me stop and ask you this evening, how is your desire for God? Psalm 42 begins, As the deer pants For the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You see, those verses can make us feel guilty. Because sometimes our desire for God does grow dim. We do not get satisfied, we get satisfied with lesser things. But the absence of desire does not need to be permanent. I don't think you can manufacture it, but you can put yourself in a place where there's a chance to spark into flame again if we choose to. Secondly, pleasing God. It's a fair way of loving him. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, find out what pleases the Lord like you would do with anyone that you love. Seek to bring them happiness, seek to do what they want, and you will find happiness... For yourself. Tozer in his book, Love's Final Test, has written, if we could turn from fun-spun theological speculation about grace and faith and humbly read the New Testament with a mind to obey what we see there, we could easily find ourselves and know for certain that the answer to the question that troubled our fathers and should trouble us, do we love the Lord or not? Can I suggest that each of us, perhaps as we stop at the end of today, ask God how he wants us to grow. How he wants to change us and shape our character to make us more like Jesus. Do we dare ask that question? Are we willing for him to respond? But thirdly, love for others. Certainly, love for God shows itself in love for those around us. John says, how can you claim to love God when you can't see him? But you can love him by doing things for other people. You see, if you can't be bothered loving the person next to you, then you probably can't be bothered loving God. But if you want to love the person next to you, that is a sign that you love God. And then fourthly, there's gratitude. Another evidence of love for God in our lives will be that we live with a heart of gratitude for what he has done, rather than taking him for granted. How often do I leave God here on a Sunday night and pick up with him again next Sunday? But God says, I want to know you daily. Never take God's love for granted. Never just expect it to happen. Perhaps the question you are asking then is how do we love God? If it's such an important question, if it's not something that's happening in my life, if my appetite has grown dim, how do I do it? Well, I'm not sure there's an easy answer. I don't know that it can be done by simple willpower. I know that certainly is not the answer in my own life. And as I conclude, let me leave with you three three suggestions for for reordering our lives so that we can love God fully. Firstly and simply, slow down. You see, we can't love someone if we simply don't take time to enjoy them. Husbands can't love their wives if they never see them, if they're never home, if they're never communicating and talking. And we cannot love God if we are consumed with activity and stuff, even if it is good stuff that we're involved in. Are you too busy doing, but you've actually lost loving? You do lots of good things. You're actively involved. You want to play your part, but actually you've lost your first love. C.S. Lewis says, The real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. The the first job each morning consists simply of shoving all, all of them to the back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Do we have times, perhaps daily, perhaps monthly, perhaps yearly, to different periods of lengths of time, where we simply stop and let God speak to us so that we can tell him that we love him, so we can find out what he wants to do in our lives. Secondly, there's Discipline. Now that's not law, it's not a a means of experiencing God's grace. You see, we can fast as much as we want, but unless our motivation is right, then it will not impress God. The fact that you can go without food for 24 hours, or that you won't watch television for a week, or whatever area you take as you're fasting, unless it's about loving God, then the motivation is wrong. But when it's right, when we fast because we love God or when we disciple ourselves because we love God, it is a way of saying that we want him to control us. That we want to encounter him afresh. see, I believe that the experience of fasting from food or from television or from whatever else can become a distraction. All these things can come knocking on our doors. But how often do I meet with God? And then thirdly, we need to practice consciously living each day with God and engaging with Him in every part of our life. Not just at special times, not just on Sundays, but the encounter with God on a daily basis. To live with God, to talk with God, to communicate with God as we do the ordinary things in our life. Involve him in in everything that we do, as Amar's Bar said, in work, rest, and play. That's where God wants to be. You see, hear the words of Jesus quoted as they were originally spoken. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. You see, the people of Israel were wanting to make loving God as part of their life, as breathing. As much as they ate and drank and communicated with each other, they wanted to involve God in that. They practiced inviting God into everything that was precious to them, everything that was normal to them, everything that was routine. God was there. Some of you I know were up uh, yesterday in Stirling for the Mark Green conference on putting God to work. Can I suggest if you want to get the tape of that, it is a, a very worthwhile exercise, listen to it. But his basic point was that God wants to be with you tomorrow morning as you go to work, as you go to school, as you do the housework, as you clean the car. God wants to be involved in that as much as he wants to be involved with us here tonight. When you go into a meeting tomorrow, as you open the door, why not just say, God, come into this meeting with me. As we go to school, and as we face our friends, ask God to be there. As I make a telephone conversation to a family member, but I know it's going to be difficult, before we pick up the receiver, ask God to be part of that conversation. I have a friend who's a a caffeine addict, Every time he switches the kettle on, he prays for one of his non-Christian friends. Because he's got two or three minutes to wait. To bring God into the ordinary, to bring God into everything that we do, is a sign, is an example of us loving him. So as we draw to a conclusion, let me ask you, do you love God? God? Do you have a hunger for God tonight? Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I suspect many of us might have lost that appetite for God because we have gauzed ourselves on other things. It's been said by one of the old mystics, Julian of Norwich, this is the reason why we have not no ease of heart or soul. For we are seeking our rest in trivial things that cannot satisfy, and not seeking to know God almighty All wise or good. He is true rest. It is his will that we should know him and his pleasures, that we should rest in him. Nothing less will satisfy us. Augustine said, You have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless till we find their rest in you. Is that why your heart is restless tonight? Because we are made to love God, and yet we know in our own experience that that's not happened. And so my challenge for us this evening is again, do you love God? Do you want to love God? It's pretty simple, really. Are you willing to make a choice that we rekindle that we, we a love for God within you? Perhaps for the first time you want to love God, you want to know that peace that comes for knowing Him, asking Christ through His Spirit to come into your life, to take away the wrong things that we've done, to give us that freedom, that relationship with the living God. Or perhaps it's for the thousandth time or for the millionth time. We need to stop again and say, I love you, God. I desire you more than anything else. If everything else was taken away, your love to me would be enough. And I want to take that love and I want to live in that love and with that love in everything I do for this week ahead or until you come. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you that you love us. And that love was demonstrated so clearly in Christ's death and resurrection. And we thank you that many of us have known that love for many years. But we stop at the end of this day, at the start of this new week, and ask that you would fill us with your love after us. May we know your love not only in our minds as an intellectual fact, but may we know it in our hearts and in our spirits. May your love surround us completely. And we confess that often we do not love you as we should. Too often we go after the gift rather than the giver. Too often we go our own ways thinking that we know best. And we ask that you would forgive us for that. And that through your spirit working in us and through us that you would help us to love you with all that we have. And as we experience your love And as we know your love, we ask that it would flow from us so that it would affect the people, the environments, the neighbourhoods that we live in. For others, would see your love as we speak and as we act. May we never seek to do things in our own strength or for our own glory. But we ask that the motivation for all that we do, both within this place and within the rest of this week, be motivated because we want to love you and we want to glorify your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.